Shalom, and welcome to the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations weekly Torah commentary series. I'm Dave Nickel from Congregation Ruach Israel in Needham, Massachusetts. This week we're discussing Parshat Vayechi, starting in Genesis 47:28. Our Parsha begins Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim Shavayis Rishana. Jacob lived Vayechi in the land of Egypt 17 years. The language of this opening line is a little unexpected. Why do we say that Jacob lived in the land of Egypt? In the English translation, it's unremarkable. But there are other verbs that might have made more sense in Hebrew. Uh, might, you might hear uh, maybe Vayeshev, as Isaac dwelt uh, in Canaan, or Vayagor, sojourned, like Abraham did in Gerar. Uh, the way it's written in Hebrew might be better translated something like, and Jacob really lived in the land of Egypt. The Sfat Emet, uh, Rabbi Yehuda Lieb Alter of Ger, um, uh, from the 19th and early 20th century, noticed this as well. He writes, and I quote, Scripture could have just said Jacob was in the land of Egypt. It wanted to teach that he was truly alive even in Egypt. Life here means being attached to the root and source from which the life force ever flows. That's from Art Green's translation. The Svadamed is getting at an irony here. The reader expects Jacob to sojourn instead of truly live in Egypt, because like Abraham and Gerar, moving to Egypt looks on its face like a detour, a distraction in the arc of Jacob's life. He's supposed to build up a great nation in the land promised to him and to Isaac and Abraham before him. Relocating the entire mishpacha to Egypt right when they are opposed to take the next step in growing into a nation, this seems like a step in the wrong direction. Indeed, we have evidence that Jacob, Jacob himself feels this way. When his sons report the happy conclusion of their trials and the news of Joseph, Jacob's heart goes numb. And only the strong evidence that his beloved son lives strengthens him to make the leap. Even after he sets out toward Egypt, God must give him further encouragement. This is from Genesis chapter 46, starting in verse 2. God called to Israel in a vision by night. Jacob, Jacob, he answered, here. I am God, the God of your father's house. Fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will make you there into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will bring you back. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. End quote. If we can read into the words of God's encouragement here, Jacob seems to be afraid that he is shorting the promise to become a great nation, selling the savings bonds before they mature, if you will. And what would keep his family of 70 people from assimilating into the greatest empire of the time? On paper, he would be giving up on the promise. To that end, God reassures him that this is in fact part of the story. Yet, this still doesn't explain why Jacob is in a sense doubly connected to the source of all things while in Egypt. To understand this use of vayechi, which is related to the word chai or chayim, to live or life, we must look at several earlier uses of that same word in this narrative. When Joseph can no longer hold back from re reuniting with his brothers, he asks an unexpected question. 
Ha'odavichai, does my father still live? This is confusing because we know he already lives. He's, he, you know, it's because he won't die that Judah wants to bring Benjamin home. The next cluster of occurrences of this word is when Jacob learns the news from his sons a little bit later. I'm quoting here from Genesis 45, starting in verse 26. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. Od Yosef Chai. Yes, he is ruler over the whole land of Egypt. His heart went numb, for he did not believe them. But when they recounted all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Vatechi Ruach Yaakov. Literally, the heart of Jacob became alive. Enough, said Israel. My son Joseph is still alive. Odius Yosef Benichai. I must go and see him before I die. End quote. Using these words in this way, the Torah is telling us more than the banal fact about Jacob staying alive and not dying for a certain number of years. Rather, he was revived. There was a quality about his life in Egypt that even surpassed that of the life he had in Canaan without Joseph. Now, I don't think the text is saying that during his twilight years in Egypt, Jacob lived life to the, lived life to the fullest, as in, went to lots of parties, or that he took up woodworking, or started to learn the saxophone. My guess is that with this choice of words, it's telling us that Jacob was able to rekindle his faith that his life had meaning beyond what he could comprehend. God's promises were not going to fizzle out when bad things happened. This struggle is not foreign to us today. We may not literally be in Egypt, but we do live in a world where redemption is incomplete. Its process is hidden from us. Where are the nations beating weapons of war into implements of agriculture? How will our judges and counselors be restored as in days of old? Having left Egypt, literally, we remain there figuratively, in exile. And not just us, but all the nations of the earth. But the metaphorical resurrection of Joseph restored Jacob's ability to see God's hand in both what he could see and what he couldn't. In the same way, the resurrection of Yeshua enlivened the eyes of a handful of Jews in first century Judea. Having escaped Egypt only to live under the thumb of the Greek, then Roman empires, our ancestors could no longer perceive the arc of their story. They certainly would have been discouraged to learn that Jewish sovereignty would be another two millennia in coming. Just as Jacob must reconcile the story he imagined with the way God was actually intending it to play out, so the first followers of Yeshua needed to adjust their expectations of what national redemption looked like. And so, perhaps do we as well. Jacob's heart is revived by his son's report that Joseph still lives and rules over Egypt, but not right away. His heart first fails him and he goes numb. According to Nachmanides, he is speechless and remains still for hours, and his sons have to yell Joseph's words into his ears for the entire day until the wagons arrive. And then, after hearing the words over and over again, and upon seeing all the bounteous goods from Joseph, his heart revives. For those of us whose hearts are still numb, may we see Yeshua's goodness in such quantity that it arrives by the wagonful. And for those who us, of us who have already seen it, may we truly live connected to the source of all things, even as we live in Egypt, where the story's arc is hidden from us. And may God, who brought us here, bring us back soon. Thank you so much for listening. 
For more commentaries like this one, or hopefully better, go to umjc.org slash commentaries. Shabbat shalom.